Welcome to the EFTM F1 podcast with Trevor Long, Harry Tucker and Connor McNally. Thanks to KO Sports, all the F1 action live, all season long. Uh, welcome to the EFTM Formula One podcast. Thanks to KO Sports, uh, who broadcast every single minute of F1 action live all throughout the year and as we head back to Europe and on with the season there's a lot of action so if you haven't got a KO Sports subscription you're mad. Uh, Connor McNally joins me we'll talk about why just Connor in a moment but Connor first and foremost of course mate highlights or full race Uh, KO Mini or full race? Oh well I think you'd have to go the KO Mini if you're an Australian fan that has just sat down and watched the Grand Prix and you just want to relive it just watch the highlights go the KO Mini. Yeah, look, I'm going to agree. I think it's a KO Mini show for me, um, and we'll obviously unpack why very shortly. Look, uh, Harry Tucker is basically Sebastian Vettel here. Uh, unfortunately, mm-hmm. he's been struck down with COVID, um, and he's gutted not to be here, but he has an OLED TV at the end of his bed with KO Sports, so he's been enjoying the whole weekend. And he's, uh, <laughs> you, you, you're, sure, you're, sure he's, you're sure he's actually got COVID, or if he's just bullshitting because he just wants to sit in front of his OLED TV at home? Well, I mean, he could still do the show. So yeah. I, th- I think it's pretty serious if he's not, not up for the show. He wouldn't yeah, let true. you get that's, any that's extra true. minute of airtime, let's be honest. Um, so we are here to talk about the Australian Formula 1 Grand Prix. And, uh, Connor, I flew back this morning or this afternoon um, from Melbourne. I spent three days, days down there. Hmm. Um, let's just, I mean, quickly talk about the atmosphere because this is the biggest single weekend, and I have to say weekend because otherwise the Olympics, but weekend sporting event in Australian history with a crowd of over 400,000 people. And i got to tell you, Friday was epic. The The crowd on a Friday was mind-blowing, let alone what they got across the weekend. Oh, absolutely amazing. I think I've read 420,000, and that's more than the US Grand Prix in Texas last year, which is hmm. just mind-boggling. It's just, yeah, you've got to be proud to be an Australian sports fan. And, and look, I think everyone who loves Formula One or loves motorsport or loves sport in general have been crying out to see Formula One back in Australia. And what a sight. In fact, what a sight the last few days. I mean, Mm. they were packed to the rafters during FP1, FP2, FP3 and qualifying, and then the race itself. Just, Just a brilliant atmosphere. And I wish I was there to be a part of that atmosphere. But next year, mate, I have to be there. I think it's um I think it's a very interesting one because I'll be fascinated to see whether or not 2023 is as big as 2022 because there's two factors to the scale of this event this year. One is the pent-up demand. Uh, you know, we've mm. missed the race for a couple of years. And the second one is the all-new audience. You know, you've got people who have discovered the sport through Drive to Survive. And just speaking to um, a couple of people I was with who clearly aren't regular Formula One fans, that's why they were engaged with it. So it's fascinating to see. And um, it will be very interesting to see how 2023 goes on the same on the same note. Um, the we'll, we'll talk about the overall impact of the changes, and we should say, obviously, you know, massive spoiler here. This race has been run and won, and we'll get through the details. But we'll, we'll approach this one slightly differently because obviously, most people would have watched the race. If you're listening to a Formula One podcast and you didn't spend your Sunday afternoon watching Formula One in Australia, I'm not quite sure what's going on in your mind. But anyway, <laughs> so we are assuming you've seen the race, seen the results, and. We have a, a win to Charles Leclerc ahead of Sergio Perez, George Russell, Lewis Hamilton, Lando Norris, Daniel Ricciardo, Esteban Ocon, Valtteri Bottas, Pierre Gasly, and Alexander Albon, which we'll get to. This is a 
huge win for Ferrari. And um, when we get to unpacking the the standing soon, that's going to really tell a story. But, mate, from the get-go, Hamilton, Lewis Hamilton, had the start of all starts, I think, Connor. I agree with that. He had a brilliant start. And, yeah, it just absolutely surprised everyone. I think he surprised even Checo that he was, like, up ahead of him at the start. And that's probably one of the best starts Mercedes have had all season, given the fact that they've really struggled in the first couple of races. Even George had a very good start. So Hmm. Mercedes are starting to be on the improve. In fact, I think there was a few teams in this race that actually made a huge improvement in their on-track performance. McLaren being another one of them. I I really was surprised at how much... We'll get to to unpacking the individual teams, but let's just just run through the elements of the race. I mean, Mm. that start was interesting. You mentioned Perez. He essentially checked himself. He he pulled out of a a lunge that if it wasn't Max, I reckon he would have taken. I agree. um, Which is a smart move as a team member. Well, Lando went a little bit backwards because of Hamilton's great start. Ricardo was strong behind him. So we, we literally had, you know, Hamilton up there. We had Norris and Ricardo up there. But the outside of Hamilton's good start, the story of the start was Carlos Sainz. The onboard didn't show it as much as I think it was might have been Gasly behind him. Hmm. It looked like he stalled. Like he looked like he literally didn't, like an old, you know, 1980s Bathurst start where cars would come tumbling into each other. Carlos Sainz was sat on the grid for seemingly an eternity, which left him a long way back in the field for a long time. And he never really recovered from it, did he? He he was really struggling for pace. Just the car just was not his friend in what was two laps that he was in the race altogether. Uh, that was just a shocking start for Carlos. Yeah, not great. And, you know, you would have hoped that uh, through strategy he would have used his position in ninth to get up to, you know, uh, a better point scoring position. But in the mm-hmm. end, he, he didn't have the pace. He was really battling with back markers like Haas and uh, he ended up, uh, having a struggle through the 10 and 11 and into the into the grass, spins are through the grass and into the gravel, stuck there initially saying, can they push me out? But then needing a full safety car and the uh, JCB to lift the car out of the way. And um, I found it fascinating, the safety car restart, Connor, <laughs> the, the, the Max Verstappen safety car rule uh, implemented for the first time. Now, we saw this in Abu Dhabi. We saw it in Jeddah. Um, Max Verstappen has a habit of pulling directly alongside, if he's in second, for example, directly alongside the person in first controlling the pace as the safety yep. car peels off. And I, I still believe in Abu Dhabi he went ahead of Lewis uh, wrongly. Um, the new rule is he can't go past the rear wing of the car in front. So that meant that Max couldn't play his silly games and under restarts uh, it was really up to Charles Leclerc who held the lead. And... It kind of actually weirdly led to more boring restarts, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. I I, I understand why Max is doing it. He's obviously trying to apply the pressure. Yeah, he he's knocking on the door to say, "Hey, Charles, come on, move it forward. Let's let's race." You know, he was really keen to get out there and and race again. But uh, that cheeky rule that has been implemented by the FIA uh, prevents Max from doing that now. I, I kind of miss. Max doing that. It's like he likes to play the pressure. He, he likes to play mind games, and he just couldn't really do that to Charles. And I think Charles definitely had Max's measure for, for most of the restarts. Yeah, the, the we'll get to the second restart, but it was it was a little bit more Max than Charles. But um, mm. it was a fascinating early, let's say, 10 or 11 laps of the race. Uh, Perez ended up getting past Hamilton. Um, 
around a lap 11, Hamilton, Russell, Norris, and Ricardo there in a bunch. So you've essentially got, <coughs> excuse me, your two Mercedes and your two McLarens, four Mercedes-powered cars yeah. running in DRS train, uh, separate to the leaders. And a couple of things are fascinating about that. There's no doubt that the Mercedes um, had better pace this weekend, it felt, but also felt like McLaren, that pace we saw throughout the practice sessions, those stunted through stoppages in the, in the sessions, we wondered whether it was real. It seemed very real in this early stage of the race here. They were on the pace. They were with the, with the Mercedes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's something that McLaren fans, especially Australian fans for Ricardo, they've been, they've been hoping for things to improve because we saw in Bahrain, they were absolutely appalling. And mm. we were very concerned that the, the last four teams in the points were all Mercedes powered. And they've se- it seems Mercedes have seen what has gone wrong in the first few races and, and have done any, I don't know what changes they've done, but the, the performance pace across all the teams that are Mercedes powered has rapidly improved. And it's great to see, although I think if you look at Aston Martin, that that's a different story in itself, but definitely I, the, I the pace was think, much better. I actually think it's not power unit related. I actually think it's entirely aero related to do with the porpoising of the Mercedes and just the aero package of the McLaren and the, and the knowledge they have from limited testing. Um, And partly I I point to the, the um, Aston Martin as a, as an example of that. But secondly, I I actually think the most insightful comment I heard all weekend uh, was Casey Stoner on the grid. Mm. He said that Mercedes had distributed the porpoising across both the front and rear of the car to, not neutralize it, but essentially, you know, give it uh, less of a disadvantage as a result of the porpoising. Now, I hadn't heard that anywhere else, but I thought that was a fascinating take a good on point. what they were doing, right? Yeah. Because it does feel like there's no major offset with the Mercedes power unit, even though the Ferrari clearly has a, an advantage. I just feel like this is an aero race. And where or the, the, the thing I pointed to early on was Ocon was, so we had two Mercedes, two McLarens and Ocon. Now, remembering that Alpine had some pace across the weekend, Ocon wasn't making any ground, no ground at all. And it also was around this point, I don't know, let's call it lap 15, 20 ever, 58-odd lap race. I made the comment to you and, and online, it's not looking good for this track. 20 million bucks was spent, and I don't think the track looks any racier than it ever was, Connor. Yeah, I was expecting a lot more passing. I, I know they took away a DRS zone, before qualifying, and that was on safety grounds. So that was between turns eight and nine. Safety grounds? No. That was uh, – and, and again, you got to read between the lines. Sometimes these commentators don't want to tell you what they know, but um, it, was it Pat Simmons, Simons yep. from, um, from F1 was being interviewed by um, Simon and, and the team, and they in- intimated that it was Fernando that suggested it, was, it should be changed. Now, the fact that one driver can have that much influence is ridiculous. Mm. But I've got to say, I actually think that it would have helped. I think that fourth DRS zone would have helped. But the point is it shouldn't be up to the DRS zones. A Martin Brundle style, it shouldn't be up to the DRS zones. The track didn't add anything to the racing. The, in fact, there was only one really good move up into 11 um, or 12. Uh, no, 11, that, that kind of newly sharpened turn uh, re- near the end of the lap. Um, there was one hash that kind of sent it down there. Apart from that, I don't really believe that there was a huge advantage from that long, sweeping, um, undulating kind of straight. So mm. I felt I felt a bit disappointed by that. And I think with 20, 20 million bucks in it, I expected more, let's be honest. And I think that that's something that has to be looked at because if we're honest, 
this race was a procession. This race was one of the big, most processional races we've seen in a long time. But yeah. for some very important incidents, we've got a very boring race, don't you think, Connor? I have to agree. Uh, I mean, I love I love our home race, and I would love to see more passing. And you know, these these rules were obviously implemented to incorporate mm. these new part, yeah, you know, much more passing, you know, closer racing and the like. But I didn't really see much of that. Maybe further down the field, we saw a lot of you know into battles as the race wore on, but it just didn't provide that conducive kind of racing that I think everyone was hoping for. And yeah, if we had had that fourth DRS zone, I think it would have made a little bit more of a difference, but it was just lacking a little bit. I was Mm. just a little disappointed. I'm not sure that that DRS zone couldn't have been used on the old track layout and got the same result. But anyway, the other thing though, before we talk about more incidents in the race is I actually think this race more than any other this year, there's only been three of them, showed how genuinely close you can follow uh, in these cars yes. without having to then, you know, I think I think back the last couple of years, you get close and they stay close, but then they have to back out for, you know, keep, keep cool down and all that kind of stuff. Hmm. But you had a lot of just uh, trains, right? DRS trains, but you had a lot of close um, cars, this, this event. And I think that, is a massive tick for the for the team at F1. So uh, uh, around lap 19, uh, after an early safety car, that's a, a bit later than normal, we started to get stops, Max stops, um, Lewis has TRS on Perez, Perez stops, uh, Norris has a lightning fast 2.4 stop, um, as does Ricardo, exactly the exactly same time, uh, 2.4. But Ricardo comes out of the pits, man, directly into a fight between Albon Vettel and it looked like it was going to get nasty. I was on the edge of my seat, Connor. Well, I'm just shocked that Vettel was actually in there for a fair fair while, but uh, I'm just starting to wonder about Vettel now. Like, has he actually got the, the capacity to be competitive? Because not long after Ricardo done his stop, Vettel's, Vettel just, the car just dies on him. The Aston Martin just fails. And it's just Runs been out a- of talent in a place where only F1 2020 simulator drivers <laughs> on the computer game. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen anyone crash there before. It's just been astounding. I, I mean, I, okay, fair cop that he's had COVID and it was his first race of the season, but he's had a shocking weekend. It, it's been yeah. a shocking weekend all, all weekend long. Mate, for Aston, Aston Martin, Martin has gone through more carbon fibre this weekend than, you know, many other teams in a whole year. It's oh, like it's been a terrible. bad, bad weekend for them. And, you know, apparently um, uh, Mike Crack, whatever his name is, um, brought the whole team in so that the drivers could essentially apologise and thank them for, for their efforts on the weekend, which is important oh. because they're working their asses off. But the thing is, that Vettel safety car, two things came from that. Firstly, Gasly and Sonoda stopped literally the minute before the safety car, so lost out entirely. Uh, literally to the back of the pack and had to work their way through. Hmm. Uh, but George Russell got the stop under safety car, which put him up the front and well ahead of Lewis, which, you know, it's a great it's a great move. And, in fact, Lewis was on the radio kind of asking about it, and essentially they said, no, it's just that's just luck, mate. That's just how it is. And he wasn't really happy about it, was he, Lewis? <coughs> it's, it's like he's the last few last few pit stops in the last few races which you go back to last year the final race they've they've just not gone Lewis's way and he's been very vocal about it on on the radio on the team radio and yeah he's just not a happy camper right now he, no, he no, I think he, what's fascinating right is he says to the team late in the race like literally two laps to go he says you guys put me in a difficult position like what the hell are you talking about Lewis that's outrageous see this is the moment where Lewis genuinely shows himself he's 
got to be, you know how amazing is it accrediting the team? We're a team. We do this as a team. Absolutely. When it wins. But when the team ends up with a great result, and let's be clear, if Lewis was up George's clacker in that race, mm. if I'm Toto, I'm like, no, no, keep, hold your line. Let's just stay together, boys. Do not. We're not letting anyone pass anyone. We're just going to hold this in because we're getting amazing points. So we're going to stay here. Uh, he's got to show himself as a team player. He should be overwhelmingly happy for, for George. He should be disappointed that he lost out in an unfortunate strategy race, but that's absolutely pure luck for absolutely. George. Absolutely. I agree with that. And that was and it was just great master play by, by George to pit when he did, and he deserved it. He deserved to have finished in third and on the podium. Because remember, a couple of years ago, he did fill in for Lewis at Bahrain in the Saki Grand Prix, should have won the race or should have no, been on the podium. And he missed out. So this is just great redemption for George, finally. And he finishes ahead of Lewis as well, which is even better. Now, Charles is out in front, I think, four or five seconds ahead of Max. Mm. And Max comes down the main straight and just loses power and pulls over before the end of turn two. He's out of the race, lap 39. I'm screaming the roof down. It's crazy because, again, it looks like a power unit. They'll say it's going to take us weeks to find out, but it looks like a power unit. It's not a good look. It's not a Um, horrible look. And... Max wisely pulled over in a great spot. It was an easy move. The virtual safety car, nice stuff, got it done. And then we're out there with this really weird lineup, aren't we? We've got this kind of, <laughs> you know, uh, Leclerc and Checo and George and and oh, Lewis wow. and Lando and Daniel. So it's a solid looking um, result. But there's also some strange ones. And there's Alonso, who still hasn't um, pitted. Um, up to lap 45, he's still out there. You've got Albon way up there and, and doesn't pit until the very last lap. And now here's the, you know, one of the stories of the races is Albon leaves it to the literally the last lap that is possible to pit and still complete another lap afterwards. And I think what's interesting is you look at it and you go, oh, he's going to get back in like 13th, 14th here. No, comes out in 10th. Like strategy-wise, that team at Williams has got to be stoked with that. Albon has looked after the tyres and not performed badly, by the way. He had a consistent gap to McLaren all the way mm. through, which as Crofty and Martin mentioned, he's actually Williams saying, guys, we've got a good car. We could do this. We just need position in the race. So it seems like qualifying is the problem for Williams. It is a massive problem for Williams at the moment. I mean, they really, I honestly thought they were going to be absolutely nowhere in this race because the first two races of the year have been shocking, let's face it. Yeah. It's not been a good start for the, for the Williams team, but this race has really been a massive turning point and it didn't take them long to get points in this early in the season, which is really good to see. And for Albon, he's had to, he's really proved himself that he can do it outside of the Red Bull family, if you like to call it, even though he's still sponsored mm. by Red Bull. Great strategy. And the fact, I honestly thought that he would have gone the entire race without stopping. But I think... Given late last year, played on everyone's minds, they had to pit and they did it on the last lap and it worked beautifully for them. They get a single point, they get their points on the board for the Constructors' Championship, they'll get money for next year and Melbourne's on the board in the Drivers' Championship. So great play by Williams. In, in my opinion, that was the driver of the day. Uh, I, I think so too because he came out for, for one lap on the softs and that meant that any, even if he was put out behind, uh, let's say, Guan Yuzhou, he, he could have potentially easily passed him on the soft. So it's very smart stuff. Mm. Um, we do it all thanks to KO. KO Sports has got all your sport covered. Your V8 supercars going to Perth in a couple of weeks. We've got Formula One heading now back to Europe and Imola. We've got some really exciting stuff coming up on KO, and they are 
everything you need for motorsport because uh, the MotoGP, the Formula One, the supercars, it's all there every session, completely live. All you need is a KO Sports subscription and you can enjoy all the sport that we enjoy, folks. So get on to KO Sports if you aren't already. Um, let's talk individual drivers that we haven't really mentioned yet. Um, Nicholas Latifi uh, finished the race. That's a big win. Um, mm. But a disappointing one, I think, for Yuki Tsunoda um, way back in 15th. I think probably... Um, that strategy error, well, not error, but you know, strategically bad positioning of their pit stop in the safety car. But Pierre was managed to come um, much further up the up the field, so it's not a great result for Yuki, I don't think. No, it wasn't a good race. In fact, he's under investigation at the moment because of um, the safety car when he tried to um, basically outbreak Mick Schumacher and Mick yeah, like almost ran into him. him. Yeah. What the hell was Sonoda thinking? I've no idea what he was trying to I haven't do. Haven't seen enough replays to truly understand that, but not not a good look. Um, another driver worth pointing out here is Valtteri Bottas. I think he might have been on the <laughs> bum end of some strategy because eighth place uh, finish is very respectable for the Alfa Romeo, and I think Bottas is really showing himself as being still a very strong driver. And I think that's a that's a great move from Alfa to have him there because. I think it's I think it's turning out to be not a bad pairing, uh, despite the fact that we would have loved uh, Oscar to be there. Um, Joe Guanyu and Bottas, a, a fantastic pairing. They're a very good pairing. Actually, I'm very I'm pleasantly surprised of how Joe's gone so far. Like he's not disgraced himself by any stretch of the imagination. I, I think he's mm. he he does deserve his place on the grid. If he if he continues to do what he's doing right now he'll have no problem staying on the grid for the foreseeable future. And that's a good thing. And Bottas, mm. as the team leader, he's done exceptionally well. Despite the fact he failed to qualify in Q3, I think it's the first time in, what, 103 races that he's failed to make it into Q3, which is a pretty good record when you consider how long he's been, you know, at the top of the field. And, yeah, he manages to finish in eighth position. A great mm. drive for Valtteri, even though strategy didn't necessarily go his way. All right, let's talk teams. Um, there's three teams that stand out to me outside of Ferrari. We'll get to that in a minute. But Mercedes, McLaren, mm. and Haas. Do you know why? Consistency. The teammates yes. finish next to each other, which, you know, I think is an important benchmark of how your team is performing. You know, Mick Schumacher and Kevin Magnussen in 13th and 14th, while not scoring points, I think that is a disappointing result for Haas. But they can't be unhappy to be ahead of the likes of Williams and Alpha Tauri and even mm. Alpine, even though Fernando pitted twice. Um, McLaren would be, I'd suggest, over the moon with fifth and sixth. And Mercedes, despite whatever Lewis has be in his bonnet and the number of earrings he wants to wear despite the rules, um, they, they did really well. They, they had a strong two-car finish in the top ten. And they deserve to be on the podium too. Like they deserve to be up at, the, at as, as high as they did. In fact, both Mercedes and McLaren, they probably should have been a little bit further up. They could have won the race if Ferrari and Red Bull failed to finish. That's how good those cars were. So, you know, for, for both those teams, it's probably a very strong performance and it can only be a good thing going into the European races now. We've done the flyaway stuff. Now they can focus on the European leg and I think we'll see both manufacturers coming into their four. It's going to be really exciting as we go to, uh, to to Imola for the next race. How long is it going to take the teams to catch Ferrari, though? Because they clearly have an advantage over and above everyone. Um, despite they porpoising, do. they have aero and power advantages. It just seems to me that Ferrari seem to handle the porpoising a lot more than what the Mercedes and a few of the other teams are right now. Like, the porpoising on the Ferrari seems to be much more prominent than what the Mercedes is at the moment, but it seems to me that 
the Ferrari just seems a much better balanced car and a much more powerful car too. And they've just, as I think I've said this before, they've utilised the new regulations to their advantage. And that's why they they are so far out in front at the moment. Whereas you look at Red Bull, to have two power unit failures in three races, that's really worrying right now. Yeah. And, and I would, I if I was um, Dr. Marco and Christian right now, I would be going back to, you know, back to Austria and say, what the hell's going on? We, we need to keep up with the pace with, um, with Ferrari. And at the moment... Yeah. I don't think they can. They're really struggling with those power units. And it feels to me like um, Mercedes um, only need to solve essentially a small problem, which is huge. It's a porpoising and, and it's an aero mm. thing, but they need to solve a problem in aero. I'm confident that the Mercedes power plant isn't the issue. And I say that because I also think that McLaren, we shouldn't get too excited about. Fifth and sixth is great. But I, uh, Lando made a point that um, – they or was it a commentator made the point that they seem to struggle under braking um, on slow mm. turns and things like that. Whereas, because they had the power and performance and the aero to do good times in long straights and you know this kind of circuit, it could be that we get to Imola and they're back down in you know ninth, tenth to thirteenth or something because other teams are better on the slower stuff. So, I think we've got to be a bit careful if we're McLaren fans to say, oh, yeah. "Oh, this is good," because I don't think this is a measure of. The rest of the season, it could be artificial, couldn't it? Very we much said so. this. We said this in our group chat uh, in the last couple of days. It seems like it's an artificial result. It's like inflating our egos, and you know we, we'll try not to read into it too much. But if it does translate into strong performances in the remaining, you know, whatever races they are when we go to Europe, yeah, okay. If they're if they're in the top five, great. That's that's a great outcome for McLaren after the horror start that they had in Bahrain. But mm. if they go backwards, then we think, okay. It, it just seems like an inflated result. It just It's just boosting our ego and it's just letting us down in a bad way. It's just, yeah, we'll, we'll just have to see what happens in a couple of weeks' time. I feel like Mercedes is where I would be putting my money for the longer term in the year. Um, mm. It's a fascinating thing, and we'll get in a second to the championship points because um, some conversation around now around, you know, what's the long part of the year going to look like? And Mercedes are getting consistent results. Red Bull clearly in three races struggling with consistency. Ferrari can't really say they've got a consistency problem. They've just had a car loss problem. So I, I do think that I wouldn't be taking my money away from Mercedes at this point. It's a long season, Connor. It is a long season. And I'm now starting to think they can win races. If they can get the porpoising issues right and they can get some more reliability, I think we'll see more wins from Lewis and George. And, yeah, you know, Lewis's chances of winning the world title, I don't think are over just yet. Like you mm. can't write him off. He's a seven-time world champion, and you know it's going to take a lot for Lewis to try and catch Leclerc right now. But knowing Lewis, he will be more determined than ever going into the European leg of the season and really keen to, uh, you know, put his mark on the championship. Otherwise, if he can't, it's going to be Ferraris and Leclerc's are the way it's going at the moment. Uh, let's talk because of Mercedes um, great result uh, let's talk constructors championship we'll get to drivers in a minute and something some stuff to unpack there so Connor McNally where do we sit after the Australian Formula One Grand Prix with the uh, constructors championship well it's 39 points the difference now between Ferrari who are on 104 points 
and Mercedes on 65. So Mercedes have catapulted themselves into second place. Red Bull have dropped back to third by 10 points. They're now on 55 points. McLaren, they've now catapulted themselves into fourth on 24 points, just two ahead of Alpine in fifth. Six is Alfa Romeo on 13. Haas have dropped back to seventh on 12 points. Alpha Tauri are in eighth on 10 points. Williams are on the board and currently last on one point. And Aston Martin, well, they're still yet to score in the Constructors' Championship. You'd think Alpine would be disappointed most there because to sit on 22 points behind McLaren on 24 mm. um, is close. But McLaren, it, that's a big result this single race, essentially. And, you know, it is race-by-race situation. It's only three races gone, but this is... This is a huge turnaround for McLaren and Mercedes in this um, lineup, don't you think? Yeah, I definitely agree. But like I said, we just hope it's not an artificial result because if they can continue that consistency and their that strong performance this weekend into Europe and, and to the next race at Imola, then, then we'll be happy that McLaren are definitely on the way back. But if they fall back, then we have some uh, concerning signs from the McLaren team because... Yeah, we just want them to be up there. We just don't want them to fall back to, you know, the Bahrain proportions that we saw a few weeks ago. All right. And the uh, 2022 driver standings, um, now this is critical because yeah. only three races in. But, you know, the two people that fought it out for the championship last year are in fifth and sixth. That's crazy, isn't it? We didn't expect that whatsoever because Charles Leclerc, he's romped ahead at the moment. He's like 34 points ahead of everyone else at the moment. So Leclerc's on 71 points. George Russell's second in the championship on 37 points. That's more than he's ever scored in his Formula 1 career. That's nuts. Third Mm. position is Carlos Sainz, who could have been second, but scoring no points this afternoon. He now sits third on 33 points. So again, nothing. Uh, Sergio Perez, he's now three behind Carlos on fourth position, 30 points. Lewis Hamilton, as he said, fifth position, 28 points. He's only two behind Checo. But he's three ahead of Verstappen on 25. And Verstappen, I think, would be pretty filthy with that. Absolutely filthy because he's only scored once in three races. Then you've got Esteban Ocon in in seventh position on 20 points. Lando is now eighth on 16 points. Kevin Magnussen is on 12 points, sitting equal with Valtteri Bottas also uh, with 12 points. And Daniel Cardo is just outside the 10 on eight points. So here's the fascinating thing I think we should wrap up with today is your Mattia Bonotto. Charles Leclerc currently has the biggest lead in a Formula 1 Drivers' World Championship in a year. No one had a lead that big last year. Um, your second driver had a had a tough weekend. But do you already make the call that you need to put all your resources into Charles? I think you might need to because Carl, Charles is just showing that he is superior to everyone else right now. And as much as I would l- love for Carlos to be challenging for that Drivers' Championship, this race just gone just means I think he's got a lot of catching up to do and it would be foolish for Ferrari to sort of go, oh, we're not going to put our resources into one driver just yet. Uh, I think they have to now. If, they, if they're wanting to stamp their authority, they have to do it at the next race and very clearly, as much as, as Carlos would hate to admit it. Mm. Yeah, I think I think they need to. I think we've seen enough. The last end of last year was enough to show you that you've got to take every point possible. And so yeah, if you absolutely. are looking well, to win either or both world championships, you have to be prepared to make that sacrifice. And say to Carlos, look, mate, 
you, this, you are the man. We're good, but we all have to focus on those titles, and that's what we're going to do. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, Carlos was the leading Ferrari driver last year, and they've got to be happy with that. But let's face it, Ferrari's golden child is without question Charles. They put they, well, they let, signed a long-term contract 100%. with Charles. Let, let me then turn that on its head and talk to you about Red Bull Racing. I was very disappointed in Christian Horner today. His mm. radio message to Checo was basically, good job, Checo. See you, mate. Thank you. It should have been, mate, outstanding in the face of all, all the things going on. You absolutely bloody nailed that. But because his, his, his favourite little boy was out, he was crying yeah. on the pit wall. I just, oh, mate, that, that, that was just level of, of love for Max in that team is, is sad, given, given what they've got in Checo, who is, mate, he may well be a, clearly a great second driver, but he may also you know, battle for this championship because Max, if if Max does the same stupid things he did last year, taking himself and other people out, there won't be that margin for error to still then win the championship this year. They could stuff themselves by doing that. Oh, and, and they definitely can right now. I mean, let's face it, they're not even sitting atop of the constructor standings. I mean, yeah, once again, they're currently sitting third and their leading driver is their second is their second team driver? <laughs> you know, he's currently sitting two point two positions ahead of Max. You know, mm. Charles. I mean, uh, Christian. I don't think would really like what he's seeing on paper right now. He wants his golden child to be the leading driver at this point, and he's nowhere near it. And th- it's a very worrying sign for Red Bull when they're, they're putting all their eggs in one basket and they're basically trying to outcast. Checker, who's let's face it, has done a fantastic job and he's been very consistent and deserves. To, and, and if he's right there at the end and he's proven to be a title contender and Max is nowhere near it, they're going to look like idiots if they keep putting all their resources into Verstappen and, and give very little to to Checo. It would be foolish yeah. for them to do that. Couldn't agree more. I think it's absolutely fascinating. And look, despite the I call it disappointment in the in the race, uh, the like the overall kind of excitement of the race. I don't think it will be um, – I think it's only hardcore fans like us that will be disappointed by it. I think everyone else mm. would have gone, wow, that was exciting. Do you know what I mean? So I'm not at all thinking that the, there was any disappointment much going on. We've got, what, two weekends before Italy on the 24th yep. of April, and then it yep. looks like another little break before uh, United States on the 8th of May. So I think, um, I think Italy will not be a McLaren track. I think that – McLaren could do okay at the United States in terms of being a Danny Rick fan, and I think United States could be Daniel's best performance in a while. Oh, in Miami, absolutely, and you know, I think Daniel will be really keen to show his his strong performance in Miami because he he really mm. excels not just in front of Australian fans but in front of American fans. Like he has that real passion for American culture and the like, and he just revels in that. So I think we'll see the best of Dan coming. I just out feel like that really long races. straight and then that kind of winding turning back straight at Miami. It, mm. Apart from the the intricacy of the pit complex. It's a bit Albert Parky. So, you know, mm. it could be a good one for McLaren as well. Anyway, Connor, we'll have to wait a few weeks for that. But uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks uh, with Harry Tucker recovered um, and back on deck for the EFGM Formula One podcast. Thanks to KO Sports. Connor, um, how good is Formula One in the daytime? Oh, <laughs> oh, thank God. It's been too freaking long since we've had a daytime race, you know. Yeah, I'm happy. I can go to bed tonight a happy man and a rested man. I don't have to wait until 
the next race, which will be 11 o'clock on a 11 Sunday night. 11 o'clock at night. So. And then a 5.30 oh, a.m. for United States. Good luck with that. Great times ahead. Great times All right, ahead. All buddy. Uh, we'll See be back mate. in a couple of weeks with the, uh, uh, what do they call it? The Emilia Romagna uh, Grand Prix from uh, Imola. See you then. See you, mate.